And so we've spent time over the last year kind of, you know, hopscotching through spiritual disciplines. And we've looked at um, a, f- a few different, and now we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at the spiritual disciplines that, that we share together, the communal or the corporate uh, spiritual disciplines. So if you hear me say corporate, that, that may be a kind of a removed word for you. It's a, it's a common kind of churchy word that's just saying the things that we do together as communal or corporate. I'm going to use those interchangeably, but just know that it's a shared experience in community. And so to, to lay down, um, in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to lay down some kind of foundational um, definitions and and, and things, but today we're going to be looking at the spiritual discipline of confession. And so confession, it's an interesting word. As you see that, I mean, what, as you hear confession, and that word's just in front of you, what, what does it make you feel? What are the emotions that rise up? What are the thoughts that flood into your head? What are the past experiences that you think of? Are they positive or are they negative? And you know, it's interesting. I think for most of us, it's negative, especially when we think about our, our history coming through. We think, we kind of associate this idea of confession with fear, maybe with guilt um, or, or escape or, or just some kind of suffocating reality. And so it probably is more negative than positive for most of us. And confession is difficult. Why is it difficult? It's difficult because confession assumes and necessitates guilt. Like you confess something because you're guilty of something. And so that's difficult. So it's like, how is it ever anything but negative? And the problem with us today is that most of us have some kind of baggage with the way, you know, from from the way that guilt was applied to us, especially in the area of faith in God. And so I imagine when you see this, you're like, gosh, I should have I should, have, I should have taken a rest day. Maybe I shouldn't have come today. You know, I get it. Like, it's like, it, but, you know, I, it's interesting as we, as we kind of process how we were brought up, you know, what we probably can come to is a lot of us found a way that this resulted in some kind of wrong view of ourselves and even wrong view of God. So if that's you today, if you have wounds of guilt, you know, and it's just driven by religiosity or, or some kind of experience, that I, I pray that today is a kindness to you and, by the way, to me as well, and that in that it brings us into the heart of the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of God's redeeming work through Jesus Christ, what he did for you and for me and this, this good news, this, this invitation to step out of this, this, this shaming guilt is for everyone here, for those who have called Christ as Savior and, and, and know a relationship with him and those that have not. This is for all of us today. So I pray that we're able to kind of dig into this, hear the invitation of God, and actually experience, experience the amazing heart of our Heavenly Father. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and, let's, uh, and we'll get into this. Um, God, you are good, and we mean that, um, even though we don't always feel that. Um, you are good. And Lord, I pray that today that that would be what is clear to us. Lord, in all of your ways, you are true and you are good. I pray, Lord, that you would take this time. 
Lord, take the words that I speak, and I pray that they would not be of me, but they would be of you. Lord, speak through me or in spite of me. I pray that the words that enter into this room today would be taken by the Holy Spirit, caught aflame, Lord, in our hearts, Lord, bringing us into freedom and growing and being more like Christ, being transformed as you desire and created us to be. So I surrender this time to you. Lord, open hearts and minds. May your work be complete. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was praying, I, I had this flashback to just a week ago. I was working through some stuff with, with our son, and I was punishing him. I was giving him a consequence. And he said, he said, Daddy, he said, when you, when you do this to me, when you give me these consequences, he said, you feel like a mean daddy. And I was like, well, buddy, I was like, I, I understand. I said, but I, I'm not intending to be mean. He said, no, I'm not saying you are mean. You feel mean when you do this. And this, it was so intriguing and enlightening of this is how, this is kind of the place we find ourselves in with God is like, how are we to relate to God in these moments when I am confronted with my guilt? And that's what my son was grappling with is how am I supposed to relate to you right now? Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John 1. Um, If you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one near you on the floor. We'll also have uh, the scripture on the screen. The the 1 John's a pretty small uh, kind of book in our Bible, and so you might have a hard time finding it. So if you're using one of our Bibles on the floor, if it's a white cover, if it's a white cover, it's on page 591. If it's one of the Bibles with a black border, it's on page 877. We also use the YouVersion Bible app, and so you can go to the More tab, click Events, and we'll pop up there, and you can follow along there as well. So we'll get to 1 John 1 in just a moment. But to review some definitions and categories of spiritual disciplines quickly, what we see is in these disciplines is, one, that they do not do any saving work. They don't improve our standing before God. These are, these are guides for us, they, and, and they, are, they are the things that make the soil of our life fertile for experiencing God and seeing his work happen in us. The spiritual gifts work as guides in in guiding us to grow deeper in our intimacy with God and guiding us to grow in becoming more like Christ and guiding us to grow in our freedom from the burden of sin. And then we see also there's kind of these, um, there's also like kind of a trajectory of the disciplines. We see an inward kind of, there are inward disciplines that are mainly uh, works of the heart. There are outward disciplines that are disciplines of the express life, living out the character of God, living out, um, again, the, living out who Jesus is and was. Um, and then the, there are communal disciplines, those in which we engage together. And then there are also disciplines of abstinence and engagement. And the disciplines of abstinence are things that we see we hold back from, that we, don't, that, that we stay away from for the sake of giving space for our right affections for God to, to come in and grow. And then there are those things in which we engage, that we actively pursue to, again, embody the person and heart of God. So those are some things we need to know because as we give our definition of this discipline, it's going to use some of those terms. I just need to make sure we're all on the same page. So today, as we look at the discipline of confession, we're going to define the discipline. We're going to look at why we confess 
and how confession works as a guide to our growing in those things, growing our intimacy with God, growing and becoming more like Jesus, and growing in us being liberated from the burden of sin. So first, let's get to our definition, right? So here's our definition. It's going to be up here. Confession is a corporate, something that we do together, a corporate discipline of engagement that we actively pursue where we bring our sin and unbelief into the light of God's truth and love, resulting in engaging and being engaged by God and others in the most profound depths of the soul. Now that's wordy. There's a lot to work out in that. That's what we're going to do today. Um, but hopefully just reading that, it, it maybe at least eases the tension if there is any. Because we see some beautiful themes here. We are, we are, it is an invitation into ex- experiencing relationship in the love of God. It is also about our connection in, in life with others. And it actually, to see that there's, there's something of depth here, which again, we all long for at least in our depths. So, so again, hopefully that easy to that's what we're, we're going to kind of unpack as we answer those questions we talked about. So, so why must we confess? Why must we confess? Let's read our, our passage. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. Here we go. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word, God's word, is not in us. So first off, we confess because we've sinned against God. And God, we've sinned against a holy, righteous, creator God. He created you. He is sovereign over all things, and he is the righteous judge. He is the one who created what is true and what is right and determines it. And our right standing is is determined by him, and it is compared to his holiness. And so when when we have sinned, we have defiled that as his creation and his image bearers and those that were created to be in relationship and to be holy for his glory. So one, we confess simply because we are guilty in a judicial sense. We are guilty as in a courtroom before a judge. Again, God is a holy and righteous judge. Verse 5, verse 8, and verse 10 shows that. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and there's no darkness in him at all, so he is pure and holy. Verses, uh, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is on us, so we have sinned. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And then, just to bring it home with Romans 3.23, for all, 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 all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for some of you, you're like, gosh, this is why I stopped coming to church. Like, this is what I was just so tired of hearing. It's just, you know, the, it's just this heavy, overdone, like, you suck, God is... God is much better than you, and, and you know, the, the, it's just judgment, 
and you're just, you're kind of soured by judgment. And this is why confession is hard, because this is where most of us stop. And when we, and with this is kind of where we, where we sit and where we rest, what we see is this leads to a couple of reasons why confession is so hard. First, the first reason that confession is hard is that we misunderstand God's motivation. We misunderstand God's motivation because we misunderstand who God is. We misunderstand his holiness and we misunderstand his justice. We misunderstand our own identity and purpose. And then we also misunderstand our pathway to freedom and healing and what that looks like as you experience it. And here's the deal. So when we, when we stop here, you know, as we're grappling to how do we relate to God in this moment, what we find out is that we often embody this idea that we picture God as, as a fed up and angry God who is frustrated, and he's frustrated because he had to do something to overcome our sin against him. And he had to, and we, and we kind of internalize it possibly as he had to do something that he didn't want to do. We, the people that, that rebelled against him, that denied him, he had to fix it. And then he had to send his son that he loved to overcome it. And, and we can think of God as resenting having to do that if we really kind of think about how we relate. We think of God as angry and being forced to act in order to fix what his creation did. We will see that's not the case. The second problem we run into is that, we, that makes it hard to see confession as a good thing is that we have our own pride to deal with. And the root, really, of all sin is pride. The original sin of Adam and Eve was pride that they knew better, that God was not trustworthy, that they knew better than him. So when we, when, when we, when we succumb to our own pride... We cannot confess because we have an approval idol. We have, that we need approval, and our identity is rooted in our reputation. And then when that's to happen, and when, we're, when we are under our pride, we are the guardians of our own righteousness. And what is that? We are the guardians of our own right standing before God and before others. And so, therefore, we can't confess because to confess is to let the cat out of the bag that we don't have it all together, that we shouldn't, that we're not worthy to be of anything good before you or before God. So we looked at Romans 3.23, but let's continue to verse 24 as we turn this corner. Romans 3.23 and 24, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So that's a statement about us. But then the statement continues and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So just as much as our sin, our sin that all of us have committed against God has condemned us, all of us who trust Jesus as God's work of providing for our redemption find that we are made innocent, that we're justified, is that we stand before a holy judge and he says, you are innocent. You are worthy. Not that he just ignores our sin, but that Jesus took it for us. But it was a gift of grace, and grace is the reward, the, un, the, the, the unwarranted merit that we don't deserve. So we see that in Christ, we have been given this gift of grace that we are justified. We are 
made right before God by, by, by being given the righteousness, the right standing of his son. Verse 7 says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we are, we are made innocent and clean by Jesus. And so we can start turning the corner. Now we put that with verse 24, that we are justified by a gift of grace, and we see this beautiful invitation and picture that we do not have to fear. And then so we see that we've sinned against God as a righteous judge. We are, we are judicially condemned and guilty. But then also, if you look at verses 6 and 7, let's read that together real quick. Um, it says, uh, if we say we have fellowship, we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We see that we have been given fellowship with God. We have fellowship with him. So we have also sinned against our heavenly father in terms of relationship. We have sinned against him judicially, but also relationally. And every one of us understands that. Every one of us has committed some kind of relational sin against another and have experienced someone sinning against you. They have not met the mark of what it is to be in right relationship with you, whether that's a friend, whether that's a brother or sister, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a mother, a father, or a son or a daughter. We've all experienced that. And this is, so we've also sinned against God as our heavenly father. So we confess because we've sinned against him relationally. And if you want wholeness in any relationship... When you sin in that sin against that relationship, you honor the relationship and you bring it to them when you, when you can. Confession is a part of intimacy. So again, hopefully we're seeing this invitation. We're seeing, oh gosh, maybe the, maybe the burden can be lifted. Confession starts with the right understanding of who God is and who we are to him and who we are in Christ. God is a holy judge, but we can't forget that the one who is just, the one who demands justice, is also the justifier, the one who brings justice, because he can't be a good judge and acquit the guilty. That would, no one would ever stand for that. I mean, I just read a news article, and, and, it, and a, a drunk driver killed a, a, a pregnant mom of four, and he got 10 years of prison. And there's a lot to go into that, but this, that, did not sit, that did not seem like a, 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 a congruent punishment. I'm like, gosh, he took two lives and left, left a family without, and yet 10 years. And so we, we have a sense of justice, of, of that the punishment must fit the crime. And so if someone is guilty and the judge says, oh, you know what, you're innocent, that's not a good judge. And so the, the one who is just was justifier, coming back to what we said, is that he gave us the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus took on our sin, our guilt, he took on our punishment and death, and he gave us life and life everlasting and victory. So... We don't stand before God on our own merit. Praise God. So again, we're starting to move towards confession being a gift. It is not just a discipline. It's also a grace. It's not just something we do. It's something we've been invited into. Let's keep going so we can unpack that. See, a good father, he is a, he is a righteous, holy judge, but he's also a good father, and a good father always deals with wrong. I said this Friday night, 
I always deal with, with my kids as they, as they sin against us or as they make mistakes. And yes, how I deal with them differently, you know, whether it's rebellion or whether it's just ignorance, but I still deal with it. I either, if it's ignorance, I teach them and I invite them into the better. If it's rebellion, I correct them and I do confront. And there often is consequence, but it's always with the heart of restoration. And, and I try and try to, to, again, have the heart of the Father and how he relates to us and that my correction is always meant to build up and restore. Again, I am human. I don't always do it perfectly. I have, I have apologized to my kids quite often about how I came at them. But, but in my right heart, in God's heart working in me, the desire is always to give consequence so they can taste the sting of rebellion, but then also be invited into the, into the, the comfort and security of the relationship that we intend to give as parents that love our kids. So that's the same as the heart of God. So when we sin against God... You have to realize when we sin against him as our heavenly father, what we're doing is we're denying, we're denying his love and his intent. We're denying that we're saying you're not a good father. You don't intend good for me. When Gavin, when my son said, you feel like a mean daddy, I walked through that. I said, well, you say I'm not a mean daddy. Do you understand why we ask you to do things? We ask you to do because we know what's good for you, because we care for you, because we're trying to help you grow and develop and be healthy and whole and, and true. Do you know why I give you consequences? Because I'm trying to protect you from going down that road. I'm trying to prevent you from being, being hurt, whether it be physically, emotionally, or mentally, or I'm trying to prevent you from hurting others. And he said, yes, I, I do that. And I said, do you trust that? Do you trust me that that's, that that's my heart for you? He said, yes. And so that was my opportunity to walk him through understanding the heart of a father. And so when we sin against our heavenly father, we're saying, I don't trust you, God. I don't trust your intent for me. I don't trust who you are. And so that's why it is a relational, it's a relational sin. And so a good father always deals with wrong, but he does it for the good of his child and for the purpose that he sees is there. And so we too often think it is our job to convince God that he needs to forgive us. When what is the truth is that God is working to convince us to accept the forgiveness that he has offered fully in Christ. And man, when we call on Christ, that forgiveness, that work is complete and we are working to live in that forgiveness, to live in that wholeness, to live in that restored relationship that was fractured because of our turning away. We too often think it's our job to convince God to forgive us, but the reality is that God is working to convince us to accept his forgiveness that he has given in Christ. So that's the why. That's why we confess, because we've sinned against a holy God in a judicial sense, as well as we sinned against a loving Heavenly Father in a relational sense. So how is confession a guide for us? How is it a guide? So first, how does confession grow our intimacy with God? So in relationships and, you know, in our family and in friends, you know, we're often dealing with conflict. And especially for the longer you have a relationship, the harder this is and the more this becomes a truth to cling to, I'll, I'll often end up calling myself and those around me to of like, hey, just be honest with them. And, I, and I will say, do you trust them? 
And that's, that's a big question for humanity, like for us and each other, because not everyone's trustworthy. But if we, sometimes we choose to say, yes, we trust them. And if we do trust them, trust breeds honesty. One of the biggest breakthroughs in Amber and I's relationship was the day that we came to understanding that we could trust each other with our humanity, that we could say honest things without it being some overblown truth claim and just saying, hey, I need to get this out to you, and then I need, to, I need you to help me walk through this. Is this true of you or of me or of us? I mean, that invited us into this shared journey of really extending grace to each other and extending life to each other and walking each other to free, walking with each other to freedom. And so truth, being truthful, being free to be true and honest is a result, a product of trust. It is no different with God. God is faithful and true, and there is nothing false in him. He will always be faithful. He says, I am, I, I am faithful even when you are not because I cannot deny myself. He is always faithful and true. So there is this progression of confession. Trust brings honesty, and honesty is the ingredient of confession. So God is unchanging and always faithful and true. We saw that in 1 John 1, 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is nothing hidden. There is nothing. There is no false pretense. There is no backdoor manipulation working. He is true. He is unchanging and always faithful. So we can trust him. And we think about in his trustworthiness, what he has invited us into, he's invited us into the fold of grace. And the funny thing about trust, especially trust in relationships, is that trust deepens relationship, and then a deeper relationship breeds more trust. So as we choose to place ourselves into the hands of God, we see him proven good, we see him proven loving, we see him proven forgiving and merciful and grace-filled and just over and over again. But the choosing to trust is the difficult part at times, right? Again, it's in that moment of how do I relate to you? And in that moment, we had this opportunity to say, okay, like I have a finite mind and limited understanding and I cannot grasp all of the majesty and mystery of God. And therefore, sometimes, as much as, I, as much as I'm able to grasp that he is good, I still have this little nagging voice. Like, just what if? What if? So in that moment, when we have this opportunity to choose to trust, we actually deepen our relationship. And then in that deeper relationship, and God's faithfulness proven, once again, we more naturally trust. To illustrate this, um, I, I, I've been through this many times, but one of the most significant times I've been through this, in 2006, in the first year of our marriage, right near the one year, just before the one year anniversary, I, and I moved here to uh, work at a, a large church, very large, kind of publicly exposed, professionally kind of driven church, uh, three months before our wedding, so it was right in that first year of employment in this church, um, I was brought to this place of uh, having this stronghold and almost addiction to pornography exposed in my life. And it started with me, I mean, the first place it came to light was with Amber and I. Um, without going into all the details, I mean, she just, she knew. She kind of had this, she's very discerning. And uh, she's like, he, like, 
is this, like, are you in pornography? And I just, I couldn't hide, and I just said yes. And so from that moment, we had to, I had to, we, we, we were going into this process of, of confession and recovery and reconciliation, but from that moment, I was also trying to mitigate how much I let into the light. There was this work of just trying to just give just enough to satisfy. And as we walked through that, we started kind of going through these concentric relationships. It was with Amber, and then we brought in some of her family, her parents, um, some of my close friends. And I thought I was like really covering my bases of, of confession and trusting that this is a good thing. Um, but it really got real when kind of through these relationships that we had brought close and receiving counsel from, they said, you really need to confess to the church you're working at. And I was like, oh. I mean, that was terrifying. I mean, it was terrifying to look at Amber in the eye, and it was heartbreaking to look at Amber in the eye and say, yes, this is part of, this is, this is part of our relationship, part of my life. But as far as like stepping fully into letting it into the light, that, that, that was kind of forced to happen. It just happened spontaneously. But in these moments of deciding and looking through of what we needed to do, I mean, I, it could have cost me, it could cost me my job. They could say, you know what, you're too much of a risk. We don't know you all that well, really. You just moved here. You've been on staff for a year. You're in a public position. You're on platform. Um, we're, we're just going to say, hey, you need to be out. We'll pray for you. We'll walk with you, but you don't have a job anymore. That's, that was a very real possibility. And the Lord, I mean, it was a very, I mean, I just, he brought me to this place. It was a very, very real feeling of putting my life into his hands and trusting what he says is good, is good. And I had to come to this place of, of, of trusting God as my justifier. My reputation was in his hands, not in anything else. My right standing was in his hands, not anything else. What was good and made me healthy and whole in relationship was in his hands and in nothing else. And I had to decide to trust that that was what was better for me, for our marriage, and for the kingdom of God in my ministry, and for me to be fully free. And all that had to take precedent over keeping my job. So that day, I went to the office, and by God's grace, and their God's grace working through them, they received me with a lot of grace and gentleness and also directness in how to confront this and how to walk through this. And they, they committed to partner with us in walking through that to reconciliation and freedom and wholeness. And so through that, to bring this back, it was, in it, by, make no mistake, the work that had to happen was my heart trusting the Lord. All the other relational stuff, all the other you know, tangible things were important that I had to deal with, but it was about my heart trusting that what God says is good is good, and what he says brings freedom brings freedom. And as I walked through that door, of course, imagine the last 13 years, the last 13 years, and how that has had this compounding work of 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 again, bringing me into freedom, growing my trust in the Lord, and I've gone through, and how much, how much each time it was easier for me to trust in the Lord. And again, I'm not, I mean, I'm still growing in that. 
Um, but the process of experiencing his, faith, his faithfulness deepened my trust and resolve to live in the light. First John 1 John 1.6 says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And I think most of us read that, naturally read that is, if I say this, then I better do this. I better not sin. I better not slip up. But the, and I think there's absolutely truth to that because he is worthy and he is holy and we are his. We were created for that purpose in his image. But there's also something beautiful and deep in there as well that our intimacy with God beckons us to not have to hide. If we have fellowship with him, we do not have to slink around in the darkness, keep some compartments hidden. He has invited us to bring our whole selves and all of our humanity to him as we are. That's the beauty of this. There's no illusion here that there's never sin. There will always be a flesh to contend with. We will always find ourselves rebelling and, and operating in disbelief against God's character and his goodness and who he's created us to be. But that sin's no longer identity, it's just activity. And the key is that God has invited us into a relationship with him that does not have to fear condemnation. The question was asked Friday night, will we ever actually be free from the sin that entangles us? And yes, there is deliverance and there is freedom. But the key to all this is that when we find ourselves claiming that we are delivered and free, that we, that we do not have to fear the day that we may fail again because God's grace is sufficient. And he invites you in that moment. He says, I am with you in that moment, and, I for, and you are forgiven and you are loved. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how does confession guide us into liberation from the burden of sin. Our sin is a result of believing something false. We disbelieve something about who God is. We disbelieve that, that he is worthy, that he is holy, that he is sovereign, that he's a loving heavenly father. We disbelieve something about who we are. We disbelieve that we are his, that we are sinners made saints, that we are created in his image, and that we are currently his image bearers. We disbelieve that, he, that we are his dearly loved children, or we disbelieve something about all that has been satisfied in Jesus. We turn to other things to be our justifier. We turn to other things to be our provision. Uh, we turn to other things to satisfy what we desire. We turn to other things to give us refuge. We find ourselves escaping to those things or hiding under those things. When we confess, we expose the lie that we believe and subject it to truth. 1 John 1, 7 and 9, we're going to look at those two verses real quick. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, uh, with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, we bring what was in the dark into the light, and whatever is exposed to light becomes light. Ephesians 5, 13 and 14, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, not just like stepping into the spotlight, for if anything that becomes visible, for, for anything that becomes visible is light. So it's not just that I was dark and I stepped into a spotlight, it's that I, there was darkness and it is made light because of the work of God in Christ. Remember, we can trust the heart of our Heavenly Father. We can trust His character. 
as we grow in our trust of God, we are freer and freer to bring what is in the dark into the light without shame. And as we do that, there is less and less in the dark. See how that works? That is the liberation from the burden of sin. It is growing in our belief that what God says is true of us in Christ is actually true. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. In Christ, you are fully his. You're not working your way in. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. He says, the problem is that we spend too much time listening to ourselves instead of speaking to ourselves. What is he saying? We've used the phrase a lot, you've got to speak the gospel of Jesus to yourself daily. You've got to remind yourself of the gospel. Again, what is the gospel? It's the good news of the completed work that God accomplished through Jesus Christ to restore you, make you whole and free and redeemed and innocent, all of those things. Our finite understanding, our fallen emotions can lie to ourselves. Culture certainly lies, and we often find ourselves speaking in the, in the words and vernacular of culture. When we listen to ourselves, we are often not hearing the truth of God about who he says he is and who he says we are. What we are invited into is to speak the gospel who he says he is and who he says we are to ourselves. That is why the word of God is important because it is his revealed truth to us. It is why he has given us the Holy Spirit to bring us understanding and to incline our hearts and to reassure us of his love for us. And that's why he's given us each other so that we can help each other. Because when we confess to one another, one of the things we're saying is we're saying, is this true? Is this true? I'm, I see this in myself. Is this true? And we get to administer the work of grace and truth of saying yes or no as we come to, to each other, again, rooted in the word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, grounded in love. We get to, we get to be a part of that. And so we, 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 we are saying as we confess, the confession is the beginning of this work. Because when we confess, we get the lies out. We get the lies out of the way so that the truth can be implanted and strengthened and made new once again. We cannot forget in Christ, we are loved, we are forgiven, we are free. And so that is the truth that we proclaim to ourselves. And as we confess, we are, getting, we are exposing the lies as lies. And this is how confession guides us to grow in our Christ-likeness. So earlier we had this progression of confession. Trust leads to honesty. Honesty equals to conf- leads to confession. And confession leads to transformation. And that's, first off, becoming more like Christ. The transformation that occurs is that um, of becoming more like him. And, and, doing, um, and doing that, we are being transformed. Again, as there is less in the dark and more in the light, we are naturally going to become more like Christ. Um, It's funny. I mean, Amber and I, we are so different. We are so, so different. But we've been married for almost 14 years, and we are becoming more and more alike. We're still really, really different. But like, I, I care about things I never cared about. I know about things I never knew about. I enjoy... I enjoy introverted time more than I ever did. I'm, so we are, we are 
becoming more like each other just by nature of our relationship over time. That is the same with our fellowship in Christ. We are transformed as a, as a point, as a part, as a result of our relationship. So we're made free to live without shame and condemnation. There will be always be brokenness and mourning over our sin. It, it, it should mourn us. It should bother us that we still sin against a holy, loving God. It should bother you every single time you sin against those around you, right? It should never not bother you. It should never not. It's the same. So it will always bother you, but it should never condemn you for those who are in Christ. And because of that, you are free to live in the light, and it leaves you, leads you to that freedom of openness. And openness is that light. And that which is exposed to light becomes light. So you see relationship matters. And this relationship is one born of identity. And it both comes out and reinforces our identity that he has given us of who he says we are. So who do we confess to? I'm trying to move through it quick. I see that I've gone a little long. Sorry. Um, but who do we confess to to wrap up? We, we confess our sin to God, right? We confess to God. All of our sin is against him. We confess to God, our holy God, that we've sinned against the one in which we, we, we were created to be like, created for his purpose, um, so in our, and our sin is always against him. But we also must confess our sin to each other. So we confess our sin to God and to others. Of course, when we sin against one another, we, 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 we do that. But it's even when we sin against God, we confess uh, to one another. We see that we're told to, James 5, 16, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, we're, so we see there is a work in our confession to one another of living free in the light of Christ. This is where we see that this is a communal discipline. I mean, just picture the grace of living in community where you are fully known without fear. How many of you live with the fear that you will be exposed one day? You don't have to. This is what we're being invited into. We all too often feel like we are the only ones in our struggle in sin. So when you live in the light, guess what? You actually extend grace because you, that, you do a work. You, you minister and encourage to someone next to you who thinks they're the only ones. I don't know if you ever noticed this. If you've been in an environment, maybe one of our small groups, and you start confessing things you struggle with and sins that you're turning to, it's contagious, have you, I mean, like, it opens the door and people feel, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And oh my gosh, I can talk about this. Oh my gosh, I don't have to go hide in the bushes. It's contagious. So you do a work of inviting others into grace, but you also do a work of entering into grace as you confess to others. Our living in the light invites others to be human. We get to be human. And humanity is, is not perfect. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, a man who confesses his sins in the presence of a brother knows that he is no longer alone with himself. He expresses the presence of God and the reality of the other person. As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. Confession is not merely about managing moral behavior. And that's kind of what we've relegated it to, is like sin management. Confession is so much more. It is about living in the wholeness given by God in Christ. Living free. God has given us the privilege of stewarding his grace. So when we confess, we invite others in. But also when, someone, when we make room for someone to, to be vulnerable and confess to us, guess what? God has made us stewards, workers of his grace. John 20, 23 says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Do you catch that? Like we are part of speaking God's gracious proclamation of you are forgiven when we make room for this reality. Somehow God has worked it where when we speak the gracious words of forgiveness, it is actually extending his forgiveness, never being wielded as our own authority, but somehow in this community of grace, this is what an opportunity. So it's both for your own, your own transformation as well as for others. So again, if we understand our relationship with God, we can also understand a picture of community that embodies this, this, this reality where trust leads to honesty, honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to transformation. Our prayer is that we at the bridge, that through the work of God and the grace of Jesus, that we experience and embody a transformational community through the gospel of Jesus for God's glory. That's our prayer is that this, like we, we emphasize community a lot but only to the extent prayerfully that it leads to us being transformed by Jesus for God's glory. So, excuse me, so we said earlier that we must, I'm closing with this, speak uh, the truth of God to ourselves every day. Um, our, Our freedom compels us to do so. But there's one more thing, and this is the ultimate purpose of our Christ likeness, is that we would participate in his purpose He came to seek and save the lost. When we confess our sins to God and to others, we naturally confess God to others. We confess who he is to others, and we are compelled to proclaim his goodness, proclaim his majesty, proclaim his worthiness, proclaim the loving work he did in Jesus. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, as we just said. So as we confess God as all that he is and has done through Jesus before all people, they will experience God's heart, and his loving grace and forgiveness, and we will see the world redeemed. So our community matters, but it matters to that end, that we would see God glorified, that we would see hurting people restored in Christ. We would see those who are far from God um, restored and saved and redeemed. So it's all, it all matters. I'm going to close with this quote, and we'll, 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 we'll close. Richard Foster says, the discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. God is calling into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity and know the forgiving and powerful graces of Christ. 
Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. So, Lord, I pray that um, you would take this work, make it real to us, Lord. I pray that we would be a community of people, Lord, starting with each one of us, that have understood your grace, and, Lord, have, have chosen to trust you and to step into living in the light, exposing whatever is dark, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Lord, as we do that personally, it would also, it would also carry forth uh, to our lives together and that we would be a community that is, that is open and safe to invite people in just as we are, that we would never be surprised by any hidden places as they come to light, but that we would respond as you do with much love and gentleness and grace and truth. Lord, for the liberation of all of us and for your glory. And Lord, I pray that that would extend to us as we remember our need, as we remember, Lord, the the, the bondage that we were in and and still uh, strive to live in freedom. Lord, that we would be compelled to a world, Lord, that feels like they have to hide, that feels like they cannot be all that they are, but that they have to somehow keep some things in check, and Lord, that have not understood your goodness in Jesus. Lord, take this time of communion, continue to to work in us, use this to only uh, deepen our understanding of the gospel, in Jesus' name.